this is Steve, and I'm waiting for Ross to get back from Europe. Uh, apparently, he's somewhere in Germany. He calls once in a while. We have a Zoom occasionally, and he sends me all these text messages of the food he's eating. So that's his idea of proof, is, is showing food. And quite frankly, the food looks pretty damn good. Um, we're going to be showing some, or playing, not showing, um, some clips from Ross and his thoughts traveling, uh, particularly in Germany. Uh, I think there are five or six short clips, uh, and then it'll be followed by an episode of the old school, the good old old school uh, with Ross and Steve. So enjoy Ross's commentary, and then we'll close out with a proper uh, old school um, at the end, and, and we'll see how it fits together. Thank you. And greetings, everybody. Um, so one of the things I talked about, both in relation to Germany, but then also Italy, was the notion of driving. And driving in both countries hold their own equal fascination and joy and interest, uh, especially if you love driving as I do. But one of the things that Germany in particular, but all the countries in Europe do very well, is mass transit in the form of trains. Now, I don't know if you've ever um, experienced a train before in Europe. Um, there are various things that make it interesting, that make it noteworthy. One, I just, well, I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you a little secret. I love people watching. And you can do some serious people watching on a train. Now, you also have to kind of play it cool. You can't do like a kind of a death stare at somebody. But at the same time, it's fun to just kind of watch folks because, I don't know, it's just fun to do it. It's fun to guess what their life is like. It's fun to guess what they might do for a living. I know this is all pure speculation, but hey, there's a there's a tactic here that you can use, and it just makes the trip go by a little bit easier. But I think one of the other things I like a lot about train travel is simply looking out the window. I love being next to the window. I love kind of just watching the the landscape change if I'm doing like a long trip or just just noticing the different towns that we pass through either very quickly or we stop off at each place uh, what the Germans call a Bumblebahn, which is kind of like a, like a, a train that stops at every single tiny little place. Um, but I get the joy of doing that and I, I find it relaxing. I find that the seats that they have on trains are more for the size of human adults uh, in comparison to, say, planes. Um, because the seats are a little bit nicer or a little bit roomier, it makes for a much more comfortable experience just on a whole. Now, AC, uh, they do, a lot of them do have AC, uh, but that's not always a given. And you have to then start kind of going around opening up the windows. You know, the, they usually have the windows that open up like at the top, kind of like the old school buses did, you know, where you had to kind of press the two things together and bring it down a little bit. They have something to that effect. And that's nice, too, getting some air in, you know. Not so great when you're going through a tunnel and you're basically getting exhaust or it smells like it. But otherwise, it's, it's pretty nice. But I just, I like the fact that it's not super fast. I mean, there are the bullet trains, of course, and I have been on one bullet train. That's the one in Japan. But um, I like the notion of just being able to go slow enough, although not slow, but going slow enough that you can kind of observe things. Um, Herr Dr. Bourgeois has a story about looking out of a train 
while kind of just surveying the historical kind of landscape around him. And one of his students came up to him asking if there was something wrong. Now, you know, this part of, part of what we ended up doing was making sure that that became like a question that we, that we included in our application process because we wanted kids to think about what it meant to kind of ride a train and what kind of benefits that you can get from riding a train. Uh, so, Part of that kind of goes into it, and it's part of one of the reasons why I like it so much. Have not done as much train travel in the United States. Um, I don't know how often you guys have just jumped on the Amtrak and made your way across the country. It's not something that's done. Interestingly, though, Texas has begun a project to, um, well, to create a bullet train in the state of Texas, and they have started... Uh, work to create the first leg of it, which will go from Dallas-Fort Worth down to Houston, which I'm pretty excited about. And all these things are going to be, you know, I think eventually what they're planning on doing is going from Houston to El Paso and then El Paso back to Dallas. I don't know how many people are going to El Paso, but if any state needs a bullet train, it's probably Texas. And they'll probably do a much better job than what California has been struggling with over the last several years, doing just a small little leg of between Los Angeles and some other place. Uh, so who knows? Maybe California will get it together. Hasn't happened yet, but hope springs eternal. Until then, we have the Texas bullet train to look forward to. Maybe there's a chance that we can start a trend in the U.S. because train travel is a lot of fun. See ya. Well, here we are back in Germany uh, for one of what might be one of my last little vignettes uh, from the old world. Uh, but right now, uh, one of the things I wanted to kind of consider was some of the kind of uh, other characteristics uh, of Germany that tends to be quite different from uh, the United States, uh, assuming that's where most other people who are listening to this podcast originate uh, and it's not necessarily good or bad or, or otherwise, although, you know, some do, some are, but, um, but they kind of represent just some of the differences that people tend to have to kind of deal with and adjust to when they come to Germany. Now, some of the things are going to be mentioned in the kind of the longer segment that's, uh, Herr Dr. Bourgeois and I have, uh, that's going to be associated with this little snippet. However, to kind of go a little bit more into detail. And I think the first thing, you know, one of the things that, and this is not just in Germany, this is throughout uh, large parts of Europe, and that is the idea of the presence of uh, fizzy water. Um, that's difficult to kind of overcome. I never am completely uh, convinced that you get hydrated with fizzy water, but that's all they drink. And I sit there and I sometimes wonder how come all these people aren't dehydrated. They might be, but nevertheless... Uh, it's one of those things that you constantly have to think about uh, when you order. You got to make sure that you ask for it. And now, most of the I will say that most of the waiters and waitresses know that you're an Americano, and they know that you probably don't like the fizzy water. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, you ask for it. And then also with that, of course, is the notion of the ice, uh, because typically uh, the Europeans in the situations that I have been confronted with does not require ice and oftentimes they don't have it. And I've had, I've had friends with me from the United States order ice and they say, Oh yeah, no, we don't have ice. And so sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. It depends on how touristy of an area that you happen to be in. Um, that's kind of like one aspect of it. I think another thing, uh, that you're confronted with often when you come to, 
uh, Germany in particular, Europe in general, has to do with tipping. Uh, with tipping, you know, so my I grew up with the notion that if you did not have enough money to tip, you didn't have enough money to go out to eat. And the notion was that you were to tip. What's gone up, hasn't it? It seems like when I was younger, the kind of the accepted level of tipping was like 10 to 15%. And now, you know, you get those, um, you get those things that they go up to like 25%. And I'm like, holy cow, and, you know, no matter how great a, a waiter or waitress is, uh, that's a lot of cash. And so uh, here in Germany, of course, this has always been kind of like a, a point that people, you know, Europhiles in the United States will say, well, you know, they have a, they get paid a respectable wage, and and that's true. They do get paid a respectable wage. Uh, it would be interesting to compare uh, what a respectable wage in Germany in a respectable restaurant is compared to that same when you include tips in the United States. I think sometimes, you know, that's part that's been part of the big debate in the United States about the notion of tipping. Uh, some restaurants trying to do without it, um, and some waiters and waitresses not necessarily liking the notion. Some places definitely because they don't, you know, they don't get paid a lot, and tips are the main way that they get their money. Uh, but here in Germany, um, basically rounding up uh, accounts for a tip. So if they gave you a tip of thirty, if they gave you a bill of thirty-eight euros and fifty. Um, then if you just say 39 or you get crazy and say 40 when you hand them the money then you know that can that can be that can amount to a tip now i think some germans probably like americans coming in cuz americans tip almost unconscious subconsciously um or maybe unconsciously uh but that's kind of like an aspect of the culture around here and it is kind of interesting when when you do try to tip even a little bit in some places they just kind of you know, just kind of tisk tisk a little bit and say, "Listen, yeah, we don't do that here." Uh, but most places will kind of take a nominal tip, and that's what you do here. Um, outside of that, you know, there's there's so many little things that you're confronted with. The fact that the Germans love all of their doors in their house closed, uh, it creates kind of like a barrier, and it creates a level of uncertainty. And I always have to talk to students that I bring to Germany. And tell them this is that listen, when you're confronted with a closed door, it doesn't necessarily mean what it might mean in the United States. In the United States, it might mean one of two things. One, someone is busy on the other side of that door, like a bathroom, and you're not to go in. Or two, someone is requiring privacy, either for themselves or for a conversation. And again, you're not to enter into that door. And so when Americans first come over here, and especially if they stay with a family and the doors are all closed, it can be a bit of it can create a certain level of uncertainty um, uh, when confronted with that. You know, what do I do? Do I open it? Do I knock? You know, what you know? Do you knock on a door inside of a house? Um, that tends to be one of the things that uh, many of my uh, uh, friends and then students that I've had over here have talked about. I think water usage is a big deal here. You know, in the United States. I don't think most people think about the water that they use in their house. They don't think about how much water they use in their house. And I must admit, I did not either until I got involved in these various student exchanges. 
And it was through that experience that I realized that the Germans have a very different concept about the usage of water in the house. One, um, not least of which because water is expensive. As a utility, water is extremely expensive here in Germany. And so therefore, uh, the Germans are very judicious about when and how much they use. So for example, you sit there washing your hands or you're brushing your teeth. Um, most Americans would simply leave the water on throughout that entire process. That is not the way it rolls in Germany, where they would wet down, lather up, turn the water off, you know, clean your hands, then turn the water back on, rinse them off, turn the water off, dry your hands, and then go about your business. Uh, same thing with showers. You know, one of the things that I'm often confronted with when trying to explain to uh, American students about, you know, going to Germany and here's some things that you need to do, they are most shocked about the notion of how they should probably take a shower. And, you know, I tell them, I tell them that you take Navy showers, you know, wet down, soap up, rinse off, get out and shut water off in between all those stages. And for them, it's just a game changer as far as how they go about it. And they probably hate every second of it. And we'll go back to the United States and just let that baby run. But for some folks and for some students and some friends of mine, um, I have noticed or they have told me about the fact that they are changing heretofore all water habits back in the United States. So I think some of the things uh, that you get when you come to another country, you know, Rick Steves often said that uh, the biggest thing that you can get visiting another country is a different perspective. And I think for a lot of Americans and a lot of my students, that's definitely what they end up getting is a different perspective, a different way of doing things, a different way of thinking about things. Now, the Germans are just as capable of being wrong and, and not very practical as others. Please see earlier conversation about air conditioning. Still, it is kind of fascinating to have these experiences and to try to, to you know, kind of see how you might incorporate them in your life if you choose to go that way. Um, all right, so that's enough for right now. That's way too long. That's much longer than my usual spiels. Uh, I can imagine one more, perhaps, before it's all said and done, maybe two more, and then uh, that will be it from Europe. Until then, I will, shall say adieu. So good morning, everybody. Um, this is your friendly neighborhood former U.S. history teacher. I am sitting in the tranquil environments of a garden in a small town in Germany. Uh, early morning. No one is up yet because it's Sunday. Why would you? Uh, but I am uh, to bring you the latest and greatest from Germany. Um, as it relates to this particular thing, there's a big controversy that's been brewing for some time in Germany, and it has to do with speed limits on the Autobahn. Now, for those of you who think that the entirety and the whole of the Autobahn is sands, speed limits, you would be incorrect. It never was that way. Um, I think that's just some rumors that got started by perhaps elementary school boys who just love the need for speed. But indeed, there are speed limits to be found in Germany on the Autobahn. Um, and of course, you're also restricted by the fact that like everywhere else, there are traffic jams and backups on the Autobahn. And so it's not just this pale male kind of exhilaration driving on the Autobahn. There are parts of it, true, but not the whole thing. 
And it has a lot to do uh, as far as the reaction to proposed, greater amount of proposed speed limits. Because uh, for the Germans, they equate this to a sense of freedom, a sense of exhilaration, the likes of which very few other people get to experience. And um, yeah, I mean, the notion of should there be speed limits now in the United States, of course, we've had a rather dubious history with speed limits. Uh, we went pretty silly there for a while uh, in the 1970s. Uh, some of the older members of our listening um, audience may have recalled the Drive 55 campaign under President Carter uh, that was designed to react and to respond to the energy crisis that was going on at the time where gasoline was skyrocketing as far as the prices doubling in many cases throughout the 70s. And so, you know, and we were also driving cars the size of city blocks and you know, we needed to do something. And so the 55 mile an hour speed limit figured out by some scientists as being the optimal speed limit to conserve gasoline. And then somewhere in the 90s, that changed. Um, not in Maryland, of course, we hung on to the 55 mile an hour speed limit for quite some time. Uh, but then by, by the mid 90s, everyone's on board. 65 was the speed limit, but everyone went 75. And then by the 2010s, I think it was pretty commonplace to find speed limits um, at around 70, 75, depending upon uh, what part of the country you were in. You could go into parts of West Texas where you're not going to find much of anything, no town, no store, no occasional uh, pedestrian crossing the street, and you will find no speed limit, effectively no speed limit. Uh, but we tried to maintain some sense of constraint, and so therefore we do have some kind of a speed limit. Here in Germany, of course, that has not always been the case, and it's thought that it was the individual's responsibility as to how fast you would go. Now, in addition to the speed limit, there is other considerations that they that are religiously practiced here in Germany with regards to driving, things that used to be commonplace and accepted in the United States, but recent car trips have convinced me that that no longer is the case. For example, in Germany, you are not allowed to pass on the right because uh, that means you're going into slower lanes and you're driving like a bat out of hell and to get around people. You can't do that. The passing lane, not the fast lane, which some people erroneously label it in the United States, the passing lane is for the left only. And here's something else that I've kind of noticed. There is no hurt feelings on the part of your typical German driver. And if you recall my episode on Italian drivers, there does not seem to be any kind of hurt feelings when someone wants to go faster than you. We do seem to have an inordinate amount of former hall monitors who are just naturally appalled at people who want to get past them, people who, God forbid, flash their lights at them to get them to go move over. Uh, we have so many people, it seems, in the United States that take it as a personal affront that they would be asked to move over. In, the United, in Germany, however, that's just considered commonplace. Uh, part of course and so you come up on someone comes up on you uh, and you're they're going faster than you you get out of the way you are the problem not necessarily them and so 
because there is a strong expectation about these rules of the road, slower traffic stays to the right, passing traffic stays to the left, and then once you pass, you come back over. Um, because it's so religiously adhered to in many cases, there is, well, it's a greater level of tolerance for uh, a greater amount of speed, and it's also safer. You do not see the amount of car pileups in Germany that you see in the United States. Of course, they have accidents here. They have many accidents here, but it's not to the degree that you might associate with this rather, you know, out of control in some people's mind, you know, speed, speed limit issue. They don't have it. And so therefore, the ability to be able to maintain it is of some concern to some Germans. And that's why the speed limit issue is such a controversial thing. For me, I follow as my cultural and political heritage would suggest Every time the government passes a law that leaves a little less freedom for the rest of us, as said by a very well-known character on West Wing, and I agree with that. I think it's, uh, I think that is the case, and I think for the Germans that is also the case. Now, the Germans have given up a certain amount of freedom in other areas, um, but with the road, rules of the road, they remain resolute, or at least most of them do. So there you go, because of observations about driving in Germany um, and some of the controversies surrounding how speed limits should be done, uh, not meant to be an exhaustive treatment of the subject, and I'm sure there are many other things that could be said. Maybe we'll talk about it later in a later episode. But as for now, Sunday morning, 7.30 in the morning, here in small town Germany, I bid you adieu. So greetings, everybody, uh, live from Germany. Uh, not when you hear this, of course. I won't be live any longer. I'll be alive, but not live. Anyway, I am sitting here getting ready to go to bed, as the rest of you who listen to this in the United States are going about your work day. And I'm confronted with something that I have had to deal with every time I come to Germany. And that is the lack of air conditioning. Now, when the Germans come to the United States, as they have, the students have, as part of the exchange that myself and my colleague, uh, Herr Dr. Bourgeois, have taken part in for quite some time, um, they like the AC, but they think we use it too much. And they're probably right. You know, there's no reason why a Lululemon should feel like a meat locker. But... That notwithstanding, they do appreciate a good AC. But for whatever reason, the appreciation for the AC doesn't really translate into actually getting AC in their own houses. Um, you go to some countries and they have, and they, it's not like they have like window units, but they'll have like those little things up in the corner of the room that that cools down just the room, like the bedroom. You know, you see that in a lot of places. But you don't see it in Germany. Now, part of the reason is because Germany is not necessarily known as being a hot country, although it's getting a little bit toastier in late, of late. But they don't have it. And so, therefore, they've never felt the need to use it. Now, that's puzzling in and of itself because the technology exists to cool these houses down. But the thing that's even more perplexing is not only will you not find AC, but you won't find fans. Now, 
to be honest, I haven't been to the local Walmart here in Germany of late, and so I don't know if fans actually exist here. It's possible they do, and so therefore any observation I make on the assumption that they don't exist might be a false one. But they just don't they just don't use it. And they don't you don't see it. And so therefore they just tough it out, you know, because they're tough people over here. And they just tough it out. Um uh, I'm wondering when it will change. Um like I said, I get it that it's not typically traditionally a place where it gets so hot that you might need it. But listen, even if it's 76, that's too hot to sleep in. I go with the American Medical Association. I think they're the ones that said this, that 68 was the optimal temperature to sleep in. And if you're thinking that 68 is ridiculously low, then my friend, Germany is for you. If you don't think it's too low, or if you think it's too, if you don't think it's too low, um, then you might be about where I am. And really all of my students that I'm with at present are uh, because they're struggling. It's a tough one. It's a tough thing to deal with. Now, when I was in Italy, you know, again, they had the little uh, room units, but that's just because we stared at, stayed at fancy Airbnb places. I don't know if the regular apartment in Rome is going to have room units, but um, the places we stayed did it's because they probably paid a gazillion dollars for it. Uh, still, it is something that Europe has got to get worked out. Now, if they're worried about the effect on the environment, let me tell you something. There are things killing the environment a lot quicker than AC units. So don't you worry your pretty little heads about that. This is what we need. We need the AC units in the room. And then you just, you know, you can be judicious with them. You can be selective about when you have them. But as of right now, they don't have it. That said, don't let that keep you from coming to Germany because it's a great country. The people are amazing, as are my hosts. And it definitely is a place that needs to be visited. But they've got to fix this AC issue. It's a, it's a travesty. All right, I'm out. Well, I'm back. It's been a bit of a break, but um, I am now in the tranquil settings of small town Germany. Uh, this is me alone. The family is flying back today while I embark on the very last of my student exchanges here in Germany. And my last observation as it relates to Italy has more, not so much to do with Italy, but it has more to do with tourists in general. Now, I do not hold myself up to be the vanguard of the perfect tourist. I'm sure I screw up all the time to the embarrassment of more well-knowing American uh, travelers. However, I do make a concerted effort to try to make sure that I am not imposing myself on other people, that I am not disrespecting my environs, things of that nature. And in that vein, I have a few observations to make. Now, I don't think anyone necessarily uh, that I'm about to lambast, I don't think anyone necessarily is trying to be obnoxious. Maybe they are, I don't know. But clearly, 
you know, there are some folks who don't have a sense of their surroundings, who do not have a, an awareness of what's going on. And you see it a lot. You know, you had people, uh, we were at the Trevi Fountain a couple of days ago, and a couple of the tourists uh, tried to get into the fountain, much to the uh, dismay and perhaps anger of the cops that were there. And I had read an article before leaving that this was becoming increasingly a problem where visitors were just doing stupid stuff like, I don't know, jumping into a fountain. And because of that, uh, actually, they're chucking them into jail. Now, as it happens, the folks that I saw, I guess, had not gotten that far or were not being that uh, that outlandish where they deserved jail time, uh, but they were being reprimanded by the police. And it's just the notion of you sitting there thinking to yourself, you know what would be a good idea if I jumped into this fountain? I mean, you wouldn't do that in the United States. I'm assuming these folks were Americans. They probably were not. Who knows? They probably were. Because let me tell you something. Americans are, can be a bit embarrassing overseas, but but they're just jumping in. I don't know what their thought process is, but you just can't do stuff like that. And of course, it angers the Italians and it angers anybody. It would anger anyone. It would anger the, the Japanese. It would anger all sorts of folks. You just did stupid stuff like that. I think one of the most outlandish, though, and the one that's so easy to criticize because it's so ridiculous, and perhaps this is a little hanging fruit, but I can't help it. And that is the influencers, that is that is the Instagrammers, the TikTokers, or whatever they call themselves. You're, sitting in a, you're standing in a place. We went into the Vatican, and we went into St. Peter's Basilica. And by any stretch of the definition, St. Peter's Basilica is considered a kind of a holy place. But you go in there, and you see that, and you see all the things that you're surrounded by. You see the statues, the paintings, the artwork, the the machinations of doing a mass. And then you see some Instagrammer taking pictures of themselves as if they are actually the real reason uh, for being in that particular spot. And so to ignore everything else that's going on around it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But there you have it. And it's so easy to make fun of these people. They look ridiculous. They're acting ridiculous. They're posing ridiculous. And it's just this level of narcissism that beggars the imagination. The fact that you could be in a place like St. Peter's Basilica and take a picture with the idea that you are the most important part of this thing uh, is the height of obnoxiousness. And this is one of the reasons why tourists get a bad name. And I'm betting they were probably Americans, but I could be wrong. Could be Russians. There were Russians around there. So anyway, so a couple of observations about just the general notion of how tourism is. Um, and sometimes the ridiculousness that tourists go to try to put themselves into the situation. Um, we'll see how it comes out. Germany tend to be a little bit more laid back. Who knows? We'll see. But um, anyway, observations from the road now in Germany. Later. And good morning, I think. Welcome to the old school. Is it morning? Herr Dr. Bourgeois? Uh, Herr Miller, it's it's late morning here in Texas, and it's probably almost dinner time where you are. It is almost dinner time where I am. And uh, nevertheless, here I am, um, live from Germany uh, and enjoying life, although only, not that I'm only going to enjoy life for one more week, but I have a mere one week left before I get to go back to the nurturing environs of North Texas, uh, the nurturing bosom of home and hearth. And um, yeah, so I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited. You know, we've been very busy on this exchange. 
the kids are exhausted. They're not used to moving this much. And uh, the Germans are kind of giggling at them, I guess. Uh, this is the weekend. So they are hopefully enjoying some quality family time. And the next week we wrap up, or this week coming up, we're going to wrap up the exchange. And uh, me and a handful of kiddos, there's actually quite a few, more so than I can remember, that are doing special flight considerations. So I think I'm only flying back with like 10 people. This is really strange. First of all, it's strange because you have an extreme close-up on your Zoom right now. And so I feel like it's a little bit awkward. If you make, put the camera someplace else, like on the wall or something, <laughs> that sounds, that's better. <clears throat> it was distracting. It's basically you know? the ceiling. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. It's it's an improvement. Um, yeah, sure. I see your hand there. Um, so so you're actually in a room and locked away in, in in Germany. With they do close doors there too. They do. So it's nothing strange. The fact that people would go past my bedroom and find the door closed because all the other doors are closed. Why wouldn't this one? And so uh, I think right now. Uh, there's been there's some machinations uh, taking place uh, for dinner, uh, a, some type of soiree this evening. And um, yeah, and I, I tell you what, I mean, so one of the things that I'm kind of struck by, and I wanted to get your reaction to this as well, because you know this region that I'm in much more so than I do. But have you ever kind of got the sense? that you were in a place that you would never be in if this place was like in the United States? Um, I, I don't understand the question. What what aspect are you? So, so let, let me give you an example. So last night we were, I'm in the town of Ingelheim uh, in Germany, uh, right along the Rhine River, right across from an area of Germany, colloquially known as the Rheingau. And I found myself last night at what's called a museum festival. And there was a very kind of a exalted and famous artist who had an exhibition at the museum. And outside the museum was this rather extensive wine festival. And there's a lot of people that are dressed like you might think someone would be dressed going to a wine festival, you know, with their sweaters tied, the arms of their sweaters tied in a knot around their neck, um, <laughs> wearing fedoras. Uh, uh, that's kind of a new thing, but uh, it kind of fits. Um, just, just a lot of a type of vibe that I have never experienced in the United States. And I'm wondering to what extent you associate that vibe with this region. And maybe it's just the region. <clears throat> but I'm just not accustomed to this in my day-to-day -day existence. Well, it sounds like you have people around you who are having fun, first of all, which we don't do much over here. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, the fedoras. Um, uh, <laughs> I mean, drinking wine. It's a, a little different. I mean, I guess the the vibe that you know comes out of what you described is that culture is, is actually cool. Yes. You know, and, and being smart and intellectual, having actual conversations over wine is, is, is something that we, we don't see around here and actually having any conversations uh, of substance. Um, you, you just don't get that. Um, and yeah, with, with them, you have, have a few, 
close friends that you have conversations but it, it feels like they're they're more comfortable in their <clears throat> own skin more comfortable um, being smart and talking about um all kinds of topics and and maybe not going immediately to politics in, in these conversations um so I, I think you're in rarefied air and, and we that that ship may have sailed here it sounds like in the united states well i will say that this is my last exchange as an official member or doing or having any kind of official status and so i am aware of that i think though the thing i'll miss the most is basically what you just alluded to and that was the idea that people are a lot more comfortable around here having conversations and they're a lot more comfortable around here listening to and talking out different opinions, different ideas, different perspectives. You know, in, in the United States, we have we have a crowd on the left that really can't handle other ideas. And we have a crowd on the right who also cannot really handle other ideas. They're really the same people. They just find themselves on different sides of the political spectrum. But here, you know, there's the divide is not quite so severe. I mean, they've got serious issues here. They've got serious um, political discussions that they're having, not least of which is the rise of a kind of a populism, the likes of which we've seen in France, we've seen in Italy, we've seen in the United States. And so they, it's not that they are bereft of many of the same political issues that we struggle with. They just seem to struggle with it with a lot more uh, dignity sometimes than we do. That's interesting. So, so there's a level of comfort talking to people who have opposing views, and and often, like about ninety five percent of the time, they don't even talk about those views. They just socialize with these individuals because they're you know life is complicated and people have complicated stories and they're actually interested um and and they they find a way to have political opinion but it's not it doesn't dominate um everything and they don't judge people based upon that they judge people like everyone does on on a lot of other things but that that's pretty low in the in the ranking i would say I think I think what you see is yes that is I think you hit the nail on the head I think in the United States I think so many people too many people not everybody but too many people view everything through a political prism be it what they see on the news be it who they hang out with be it how they approach strangers I think too many people look at it through a political prism and while the political prism exists here as you say it is not anywhere near the top of things it is more about are you interesting do you have something to say do you have experiences can you answer questions can you talk about subjects you know there's that old there's that old commercial about the about the woman who folds like a cheap lawn chair as soon as she gets a tough question that that person could not exist here just because here there's an expectation that you have something to say that you're able to explain it that you're able to, you know, kind of uh, compare and contrast it with other things, and it is a it is an incredible aspect of being here. Um, I, I also think that we get off a little bit easy in, in our conversations. I mean, I think, you know, particularly with, with social media, you just click on the 
thumb up or whatever. But in, in Germany, if you if you do give an opinion, you know, they, they will look you in the eye and say, well, tell me why you think that. And then they will sit and listen and stare at you. And and we don't get called on things like that. The, and so we're not used to articulating. I think that, you know, we would, you know, be unnerved by that type of a direct question, but you get it there and, and it holds people to a standard. Yeah, there's, there is, it's based upon a premise of be curious, not judgmental. Ask the questions. Seek to understand first before you sit there and you start to make your mind up. And I think if everybody could live on that ideal, hell, I mean, you just imagine how different our country would be if there wasn't such a rush to put forth an opinion, irregardless of any information that might make that opinion valid or interesting. They're just people throwing out crap and just, you know, throwing spaghetti up against a wall and see what will stick, what will give them the most likes, and like you said. So I think that's the part of me that that I'm it's, it's the part of Germany that I'm gonna miss the most. But it also, you know, I'm also kind of like in a certain strata of German society, and I don't get much variation. So it's kind of hard to know, you know, from the people that you talk with, everything else is being said and everything else is being thought. Uh, but I just love this kind of political atmosphere, or not political, but this kind of conversational atmosphere. It is not unlike, you know, being in France. I think France, too, has that kind of atmosphere. Uh, but, well, yeah. The problem with France is that the, the French have a different word for everything. And uh, <laughs> so they could be saying all kind, kinds of smart things. But, uh, in, but the the Germans also will um, not only question you, but they'll correct you. And, and it's not to make you feel bad, but it's like to help you. It's a service. And so if you have a flaw <laughs> or something, they, they, of course, they will uh, correct you on that. And um, but I, you know, the from I mean, we've all we've both been all around Germany. And I, I don't I don't think it's what you're talking about is unique to the Rhine Valley. <laughs> at all no. yeah i mean the people we know people in the east and uh, all, all all areas it's 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 the same thing They've, it seems like a place for grown-ups um and the kids you know the high school kids seem seem to have views and can speak intelligently they they are readers actually they are readers and so uh -huh. that comes out in in a, in a social um setting um they do have weird uh, television programs. I mean, they, it's so funny that they're so intellectual and they like these silly kind of trifles of uh, weird talk shows and strangeness. But I mean, that's that's um, it, it feels like a little bit 1970s here, kind of that whimsy. Uh, but maybe that's a break for them from the, from the thinking. Well, I think one of the things also is, is that they are surrounded by serious things. You know, Germany right now, you know, my host was asking me, how much do you see on the news nowadays about the Ukrainian war? Mm -hmm. And I think to a certain extent, some Americans are kind of tuned out. I think a lot of people still are interested. But here in Germany, they're extremely interested because it's right next door. And if something should happen to the Ukraine, Germany is the next 
you know, major power, not that the Ukraine's a major power, but Germany is probably going to be the next major country mm-hmm. that Russia would have to interact with. Mm-hmm. And so I think for, I think for Germans, I think the, the, you know, to, to use an overused, um, uh, example of modern parlance, I mean, the struggle is real here in Germany. Mm-hmm. And so therefore they really can't afford to be frivolous. I mean, they, they were on the cutting edge, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes the bleeding edge of the Cold War. And I think that that is created, not that they weren't like this before, but it's kind of fostered it, this kind of seriousness, this kind of willingness to discuss ideas, difficult ideas. And I should make this clear. I think that there's a lot about the United States and Americans that can be correlated with what's happening or what happens in Germany. I think Americans are typically very curious. I think that they're very willing to discuss things. Um, You know, I think that they find value in learning about other places and other people. I just think that there's a lot of things that are also in place here that stops the conversation, that prevents the conversation, that has created an either or mindset that says, these are my ideas. I cannot accept a challenge to any one aspect of it or the whole entire thing crumbles. And because of that, that kind of creates some of the problems that we were discussing earlier. But I think we have at our root, we have some of these same shared notions. It's just that the Germans were able to kind of follow through. And where we once did, we certainly have not in, say, the last couple of decades. Well, the the seriousness, I think that's a, a good term uh, for this. I mean, I, ha- I have some news apps on my cell phone. I know you have like nine apps, so you don't have <laughs> room for one. But um, there, there are ways to get German news, not only in writing, but also video and audio. And and their top stories every day are the Ukraine, every, every day. And, every day, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, maybe the top four or five stories, and as it should be. Um, and, and so we're we're distracted with um I mean we have our, our news cycles, you know, but but with these news cycles, we we forget the actual news, I think. Uh, well, I think it's one of those things where you know you you try you try your best to try to um to kind of hang with them and and you know and be open to the questions, be open to the challenges. Uh, that they might have for your opinions, for your ideas. And if you can embrace that, and I'm just not talking about political, as you say, they're much more interested in, they're they're interested in many more things besides politics. I think as long as you're willing to open yourself up to that, it's one of the greatest experiences about being here in Germany. And it's one of the greatest experiences about having a mind that can think for itself. And you sit there and you have these conversations with people who have the same kind of abilities. And I'm going to miss this place. I must tell you, I do. I I do think I will come back to Germany. Famous, you know. famous words from Ross Miller. MacArthur said, "I will be back." You know, and right. I, so why? So well, they're, they're, you're not like barred from the the country because you're not traveling with a a, a row of uh, twenty high school kids. You know, they'll still let you in. Yeah, but the row of 20 high school kids does make it easier because they pay for the trip. But uh, no, you're right. I'm not barred from the country. It's just, you know, I'm also kind of confronted with the idea 
that there are many other places I'd like to visit as well. So, you know, those loom large in my imagination. And so while I do hope to come back to Germany soon, uh, there are many other places that I hope to experience as well. So so some of the things that we're talking about are are just European or maybe just non-American. Um, but but they're, you know, my impression, you know, throughout Europe, the Europeans I've met is that they they know how to enjoy themselves and and they and they know how to take time enjoying themselves and you know the idea of of turning a table at a restaurant in in 60 minutes in the united states and you know i've played piano in a lot of restaurants and the the elite top tier restaurants will have a 90 minute limit and that's it's it's implied but it's actually what the waiters are are trained to do but we cycle through in, in just over an hour typically and and in, in europe if you go to a restaurant you're there for the for the duration you know, you're literally shutting the cell the place down you're gonna have some wine before during and after and, and you're gonna talk and and we don't have that in fact you you almost feel this pressure when our waiter puts down the check and then comes back and say everything okay hint hint get the hell out of here you know and so yeah but they always they always lay down the check and say no rush yeah but you know there's a rush yeah yeah and that's a so that that to me is the example of our our culture you know in a way in in now you 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 take you take time for things like that and and it's a conversational culture because people don't just sit there and stare at each other they're talking right i think it's i mean but I should be. I should say, they don't have it all figured out here. Right. I did a little clip that's going to be placed in a join with this little conversation that we're having now oh, about okay. the Germans' seeming aversion to air conditioning. So <laughs> this is uh, right before we we got here. It sounds like you're com- complaining secretly about your your. I mean, right now you're in a place. I've been there, and you're on the second floor, right? I'm on the second floor. Yes. Okay. And you're so so there. There's an air conditioning unit and two fans going right now. No, there's nothing. <laughs> you know that you've been in this thing. You've been in, you probably here. in this room. There was no air conditioning. There's no fan. <laughs> well, you know. But anyway, I kind of talk about that. But I mean, I mean, there, like I said, there's other things though. I mean, there's this. There's the pale male nature of German radio, where you might get back to back songs from ABBA and ACDC. There is a ABBA. There's nothing wrong with ABBA. It's just that if you wanted to listen to, if you're sitting there looking, you know, searching the dial, looking for a particular genre of music, you will, as they say in Texas, that dog don't hunt. That does not exist here in Germany. (laughs) They just have these various radio stations that it's like someone who was high on crack who put together the list and it's the most disjointed you know, series of songs mushed together as you could possibly imagine. They do jump I into the eighties. They jump into the eighties randomly. You know, they'll be playing techno and playing something and then I don't know. I just died. Yeah, there's there's stars. a lot going on. Yeah. I yes. just died so in cars the- tonight, tonight, whatever that I I can hear that song <laughs> coming up. You know? But uh there's that. There's this obsession with uh mineral gassy water that i will never understand you cannot convince me that it hydrates you 
It's like if you were like sweating, you had just worked out and then you turned around and picked up a soda. That's basically what you're doing when you grab water around here. So there's this uh, there's this affinity for that kind of water. I don't understand. Oh. Toilet paper is like sandpaper here. I don't get that. I mean, this is a modern country. We can't we can't invest in some Charmin. You know, there's just there's a lot of things here that can be fixed. Well, just like them, anywhere. A lot of them have to just go into the bathroom, honestly. Um, <laughs> but the dehydration, you know, you know, helps because it's really hard to have a public restroom out there. I don't know how people do it. Um, you have to <laughs> slip into a little cafe, get a cup of coffee, ostensibly to drink the coffee, but you really just want to use the bathroom. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, some things are, are difficult about that. That is one. Um, but it's a short list. I mean, you would have to, you know, think pretty hard to come up with too many more. Uh, yeah, knowing yeah, you know, but but, see, you know, but I, I'm with you. I prefer the you know water without the bubbles. Stillwasser. That's that's my preference. Of, you know, and it doesn't go well with other other things. You know, I don't know. Sparkling water. It's 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 weird when there's no flavor to it. I don't. I don't well, yeah. That's what's become the thing in 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 the U.S. I mean, although it seems like it's gotten more popular in the U.S. and maybe it's because of all the flavored stuff, but you can even find Topo Chico or whatever the case may be. I mean, it, it seems to be more and more popular. I don't I don't get it, but uh, who knows? What do I know? But well, here yeah. I am, last week in Germany, last and week. do you miss it here? Yeah, I I miss a lot about it. Um, Sitting, you know, drinking wine is something that you you know, I rarely do that at a restaurant or anywhere here, and it's just a reminder that life is really simple, you know. Yes, and drinking wine, bread, little cheese, um, you can't beat it. Um, but the the climate is really nice, but it it feels like the heat is hotter there. You know, and it's probably just silly humidity, but it has has to do with a lot of things. But being outside, you just get exhausted from the heat there. It's different than here somehow. Well, I think that might be somewhat colored by the fact that when we're outside here, it's generally we're like schlepping our way to one place or the other or visiting one place or the other with a group of students. And so it's just the entire experience which makes it more miserable compared to, you know, because it's not like it's that hot. But just like you said, it feels hotter. Yeah. I mean, there's probably some technical term for that or how far north they are. Well, yeah. they're basically in you know southern Canada, if you huh. get where they're they're located. Uh and their and their walking is uh I mean they they take these long treks that you know we would never do. We we would use <laughs> lift to go down, you know, two blocks we'll get a lift. I'll get an Uber. Well, you've been unfortunately you've been subjected to a couple of long walks from my host uh, last summer. I think you were. Oh, that was. I was fun. a little worried about you. You're <laughs> you're struggling. No, you're not fun. You were you were smiling on the outside, but I had uh, a good time once I once I got there. But yeah, I was trying to, to fake an injury <laughs> before. Um, <laughs> like, I don't know. I think I just had a surgery or something. I had a note from my doctor saying no no hikes with poles going up <laughs> it, it was written out and somehow i lost it before i got there so well yeah but i had a good time and, and it was wonderful because it started raining right when we finished so we we're standing in the rain having a 
drink of something. It was beautiful. One of the more memorable experiences I had there. That was actually that happened to us twice, if you recall. Once here with the Nordic walking crowd. Right. I love that. And then the second is when we were in Silva Plan Planta. It was that the name of the, was that the name of the town, Silva Planter, when we were walking around we had done the kind of walk where and Nietzsche had, you know, we'd seen the places where he kind of sat down and thought about stuff. Yeah. And we were making our way back and it started raining on us. Yeah. That was recorded in our one of our podcasts. Um, I think so. It's part it was, of the uh but we lost yeah, in the field. That's right. And but you remember experiences when you're slightly uncomfortable being rained on. If it hadn't been <laughs> raining we wouldn't probably it would kind of be blocked out we never would remember the experiences <laughs> something to that there's a philosophy behind this in the old school you know every once in a while we get into philosophy of of living and, and uh you, you need a little rain now and again here miller yeah little little uh little obstacles little suffering can do the soul good Wow. So you've learned that. You've you've been <clears throat> enlightened and you're you, you you seem happy. You seem awake. You don't seem jet lagged at all. I mean, last time you were kind of coming out of it, but um yeah, you're you're gonna be really groggy when you get back here, but right now you seem to be on catching your stride. Well, I've been here three weeks, so it's not like I'm sitting there struggling, you know. <laughs> and even the even the last time we talked, I'd been here a week. I don't I think uh I don't think I was struggling. I'm fit. You're I'm more, like a bull. You're more perky. You're you know, you're kind of perky now. What do you do? <clears throat> I mean, are you part of the you know, you're you're sort of the pro from Dover at the exchange program, but you're not running anything, you're not in charge anymore. So do you actually go to school? No, I still go to school. I still do all this stuff. I just uh I'm basically just doing the exchange version of Tipping my hat and waving my hands at every place that we go, and then I'll sit down and just let everyone else run around like crazy. Okay, well, that's 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 the way to do it, and it's it's not like it's a huge commitment, but you you do have to yeah. walk around on the tours, right? Yeah, so I mean, it's not like I'm just loafing. You know, I I am putting forth some effort to ensure that this exchange goes well. I just don't, I'm just not saddled with the burden of responsibility that once fell upon you and then me earlier on. Yeah, those are, those are tough times. So, <laughs> so you're only bringing back half of your group? Yeah. Um, what, um, uh, do the school officials like the idea of your kids traveling by themselves unaccompanied on the way home? I don't care. I mean, it's what I go <laughs> First of all, it's not my school anymore. Second of all, it's a private exchange. Third of all, it's with the parents' approval. Okay. I don't care. Okay. Good luck to them. That's what I say. Okay. So but you're gonna be coming back with, with students and and when when is this? What day of the week? Saturday. This a week from Saturday or when? This, this week, this week, this coming Saturday. So okay. I was gonna come and see you, but I'll be in, in uh Mexico. Cancun? Uh, I don't like to tell people where I'm going here, Miller. I, um, it could be Cancun, or it could be someplace else. Um, Puerto Vallarta. Yeah, there you go. Personally, I don't think that neither one of us are so important that someone would go out of their way to find <laughs> out <laughs> find out where we are. Well, the, the the problem is I really don't know where which it's 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 a resort someplace in in Mexico. Um, so I don't want to. You could, could end up down Zihuatanejo way as the uh, 
You're just showing off now, Herr Miller. <laughs> you want to name All right. Not even place. Well, um, so we're going to tap on a couple of your observations on Germany. I hope that they're not all insults about the the Germans because we have a lot of friends there. Um, talking, well, no, they're not insults. I mean, but they're they are observations, and um, observations by their nature might show a bit of contrast to what the general audience of our pod, of our podcast might be used to. So. Uh, there will be some compare and contrast, uh, certainly not meant to be disparaging. Oh, uh, but, okay. yeah. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll remember that <clears throat> when I introduce it. I'm not going to say okay. Mr. Miller is taking pot shots at his hosts or something. Because <laughs> they're lovely people. He hasn't gotten over 1945. Oh, come on now. Yeah, <laughs> 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 All right, then. Well, with that, uh, we shall say adieu, Herr Dr. Bourgeois. Auf Wiedersehen, Herr Miller. <laughs>